0: If you do not have um, one of the charts that we handed out last week about the major and the minor profits, it's a timeline. Raise your hand and somebody will come along and give you that. Mr. Stafford is on his way. All over, a bunch over here, Andy. What this is, is uh, this will just help you identify um, when the prophets wrote, what was going on. The top half is the prophets wrote to the nation of Israel. The bottom half is they wrote to the nation of Judah. You can see that many of them wrote during the same time period, so that kind of gives you a, a little bit of a feel of what is going on. This also happens to have the kings and the years in there. Andy? Thank you. So, um, it's just something as we're going through the minor prophets, I thought it would be uh, a good thing for you to have to kind of get an idea. We're not in the prophets very often, and so for us to understand where they are and when they are and how they are, uh, this just helps us out a little bit. So, um, anyway, just for your information and and just so that you have a general feel. So today we're going to be talking about um, Joel, and you'll so you'll see that. In the time period, he was one of the earlier prophets, and he wrote to the nation of Judah. And so he's down there, and, and so you can get a feel for, for what went on um, with with what he did and, and what was happening a little bit um, when he was writing um, as God asked him to write. So there you go. Hey, listen, last week we uh, mentioned that uh, some people wanted some... Actually, for a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of months, people have mentioned they wanted quarterlies, and so I've ordered a bunch of those. But you can't have them for this quarter because they don't have any. Okay, so sorry, but we're almost done with this quarter anyway. Um, but I have ordered them from now on; they're in my regular order. And so uh, every time we have a we begin a new quarter, you will get uh, teachers quor- you'll get uh, student quarterlies. And so I've ordered 40 of them. Uh, because quite a few people raised their hands, and so they're avail- they'll they be there starting when we um, start the new quarter in March. Okay? So until then, you just got to just sit there in the dark and not have a clue what's going on until I tell you, all right? So you'll sit here and be taught. That's right, instead of reading ahead of time. I like that. All right. Anyway, so I did take care of that. But as I said, um, uh, they don't have any left for this particular quarter. And uh, so, um, and we're behind a quarter. That's one of the reasons why this isn't current with the gospel project. We're behind um, three months. So that's the reason why they're out of them already. All right, let's pray, and we'll begin our class. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your love in our lives, your grace, your faithfulness, your compassion. And, Lord, as we... As we've gathered together again this morning to be with your people another time in this event, we know that we are privileged because of that. We know that it is special and it is unique that we were able to do that. We thank you that we have that freedom in this country. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just it, remind us and that you would convict us of understanding that this is a special thing we're doing today and not to take it for granted but to we ask you the Spirit of God to work in our lives that we would get the most out of what is before us today and that you would accomplish some great things in our hearts and in our lives we pray that for the students throughout this building and we pray Lord for the um, the teachers that you would fill them, give them wisdom, and the Lord that this would just be a really good day, and that we would we would understand what you're teaching us, and understand a little bit more about who you are, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. I want to remind you of a couple of things um, as you wander out in between church and Sunday school. Um, we have uh, the 2016 giving statements are in a box on the welcome counter. You can grab your giving statement for 2016. Also, sign up for the Valentine's banquet. There's a table in the foyer. Um, we encourage you all to do that. Uh, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful evening. And, um, and so please sign up for the Valentine's banquet so that they know what's going on. Don't wait. Do it today, all right? And say, hey, we'll be here. And, you know, obviously, it's a wonderful, wonderful evening. It's on a Saturday night. It starts at 5 o'clock. It'll be really good. Um, It's on the 18th. So grab your giving statement, sign up for that, and thank you very much for participating in those things. Um, We appreciate it. So we saw where Joel kind of fits in in our our, um, table there, and so you can have a general idea. If you turn in your Bibles to Joel and uh, get ready for what we're going to be doing today, let me read to you a little bit from the introduction and our summary statement about what's happening today. The land is going to be consumed before the very eyes of the people of Judah. And they're, it's going to be consumed by locusts. The prophet Joel helps us to see that the locusts were more than an unfortunate circumstance. The swarming insects were the instrument of the judgment in the hand of God. As the people sat by and watched their land be consumed, the prophet Joel pointed the people not only to their own sin, but also to the fact that their current situation was only a shadow of the relentless judgment of God. But even more, here in the dark days of plague and famine, there was a hope of restoration. God reminded his people both then and now that the day of the Lord is both a day of judgment for his enemies and a day of vindication and redemption for those who have repented and trusted in him. One of the things that that is important for us to understand as we walk with God and as we study God and we learn about God is that we always know that what we're seeing now and experiencing now is but a glimpse, right? Right? It's just, it's but a glimpse. That there's more. There's more of his grace. There's more of his love. There's more, in fact, of his judgment. There's more of, of, of his compassion. There's more of his, of his mercy. There's more of his anger. That, that we, we just see a glimpse right now, that we understand that, that we're just a, a small, 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 small part of what has been going on and what will go on. Yeah, well, that's an important thing for us to understand, I think, sometimes, because we can, get, we can get consumed with the, the all-consuming thing of why God? Why is this the thing? Well, understand that it's a part of the big thing. And Joel kind of reminds us of that, and we'll see that in a little while here. The summary of what we're going to talk about today is this, is that Joel warned the people about the day of the Lord, a day in which God would judge his enemies, vindicate his people, and restore the world. In light of the coming judgment, Joel called the people of Judah to repentance. As believers who are already restored by God's Spirit, we are commissioned to call others to repentance and spread the good news that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, uh, you know, we need to be that voice for the world, and the world needs Jesus Christ. We, We need that. So the first thing that we see is that God... Uh, calls the people to grieve over their sin we have seen this idea and this theme before in the old testament it is not a new thing we'll be repeating some things that we've talked about before but it is it is an incredibly important lesson that we learn in our lives is that we come to grips with the fact that sin is an incredibly serious thing and we should grieve over our sin that we just We just sometimes just go along yep i did i sinned but let's just move along here now we need to understand that grieving over our sins an important thing and uh certainly joel talks about that in this particular uh, book so beginning in chapter one it says this the word of the lord that came to joel the son of Pethuel." Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it. And let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Locusts had come in and devoured the land. Just devoured it. And, and you guys have lived in farm. You know what, what, what grasshoppers will do. Locusts are worse. And they can just devour what the nine locusts has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all of you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my... Vine, a waste in my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O father farmers. Wail, O vine dressers. For the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed, the vine dries up and the fig tree fails, the pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree, and all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourself with sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God consecrate a feast proclaim a solemn assembly gather the elders all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord one of the things that we learn from this particular passage of scripture is that God is sovereign over even the insects the small creatures that are called locusts in this particular passage God is sovereign over everything. You know that. You understand that truth. That is something that you, you believe. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? One of the things that God reminds us of throughout the Bible is that he cares for the animals and if he cares for the animals, he what about you? He cares for you and even more. Okay? One of the things that we're seeing in our world is that, is, is that the created is becoming worshipped, right? We're seeing that certainly with animals more and more all the time. You know? that the creator to becoming worshiped over and over again. The Bible points out that God cares for all of creation. He created them, and if he cares for and knows what's going on with the birds, he cares for and he knows what is going on with you. That's an important thing. One of the things that we need to cling to in our life, especially when we're struggling or we're frustrated or life doesn't go the way we want it to, is that we need to understand that God does know me and cares for me and loves me. Okay? And that is a matter of faith. That is a matter of faith. We are told to live by faith. Well, here's an area where we need to really be living by faith. Is that God knows me, God cares for me, and God loves me. In spite of what you may be seeing, in spite of what your circumstances may be crying out at any given moment, you can take that to the bank. Okay? Let's prove that for a moment. How do we know that that's the case? Because of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. Go backwards. You go backwards to Jesus Christ, and you say, look what God did. Look what God did. Okay? He he loves me. He cares for me. He has compassion for me. He has a plan for me that is beyond today. Okay? And so I know that that is the truth, and I can cling to that. That will sustain you if you believe that. That will help you get past the hurdles of life. That will help you with... The, the battles of life sometimes and those frustrating things that are overwhelming. If you cling to that and you believe that with all of your heart, all right? Now, one of the things that we read in chapter 1 here, it's fascinating. Who sent the locusts? God did. That's exactly right. God sent the locusts, all right? God is a force bet- behind this terrible thing in the nation of Judah right now. God was the force. God was the one who said, I'm going to use this so that there's a wake-up call in your life. I'm going to use this for you. And we need to talk about that for just a little while here. Because when things go on in our life, is it always a time when God is judging? No. The answer is no. you got to make sure you understand that. No. But as things happen in our lives... What should it always be for us? should always be a time when we turn to God and we ask Him, Lord, are you teaching me something right now? Are you showing me something right now? Are you wanting to get my attention right now? Is my focus in the right place right now? Am I where I need to be right now? Lord, do I need to adjust some things in my life so that I don't have that as an idol and instead I have worshiping You as the only true and real God? The interesting thing about it is that that God may not be using those things as a judgment at all, but God uses all things to call us to look at Him. And when you look at Him in the midst of life, whether it's the troublesome things of life, whether it's the itty-bitty little difficulties, whether it's the massive difficulties, there's a couple things that you should always see. You should always see the fact that God is God, and I am seeing Him as God. I am not God, and I am seeing me as who I am, and I am understanding that sin is an issue in my life, and I am seeing that for what it's worth. Those are the things that should always be on our minds when circumstances, when things come into our life. Always those things should be on our minds. Where's my heart right now? Where's my attention right now? Okay? Did God bring that? Maybe, Maybe not, but I can still understand that he's a sovereign God and he wants to use all things, all things to get me to turn to him. Lord, am I where I need to be? Am I listening like I need to be listening? Are my priorities out of whack? am, am, Am I frustrated about life right now because you have attacked an idol of mine? Do I need to check my heart somewhere? See, all of life, all of life can constantly be used as an area for us to say, am I where I need to be with God? Am I as close as I ought to be? Do I need to get rid of some things? Do I need to adjust some things? Do I need to change some things? What in the world is happening in my life right now? Why is it going on? Am I, is God teaching me something? Am I being disciplined for something? Is it something that God is teaching other people and using me? What is going on? And no matter what the answer is, the solution is always the same. And that is to get my eyes off of me and to get my eyes onto God and trust him as I walk through whatever is going on in my life. So the questions are varied. The answer is always the same. Always the same. I always want to turn to God. I always want to respond to God. I always run to God. And we struggle with that in life don't we it's a tough one but that's exactly what needs to happen over and over and over and over over here alright now the thing that I do want to say about what was going on with the nation of Judah was they were being judged because of why and we read a little about that in chapter 1 why they had turned away and, were worshiping, idols. Turned away and were worshiping idols exactly right it was sin so they were they were worshiping idols they turned away from God They were being judged for sin. And according to chapter 1, even, as we read this, how does God view sin? As evil. Pretty serious stuff, right? The Psalms, Samuel, we've looked at, as we've gone through the Old Testament for the last, you know, year plus, we've looked at a lot of things and we understand, how does God view your sin? How? As evil. It's pretty serious, isn't it? He sees your sin as pretty serious stuff. One of the things that needs to happen when we look at life is that we view our sin the same way God views our sin. Do we? Seldom, exactly. We really don't. Okay? And we need to understand that it, that's a serious deal. That my sin is serious you know when we went through Isaiah 53 and we went through all of that for a couple weeks and we really tried to understand this is big stuff here what it is that Jesus did for us is big stuff okay the beautiful wonderful thing about us taking our sin seriously is that it shouldn't drive us into a deep hole of depression because because of Jesus that's exactly right should I take my sin seriously Yes, should I be grieved over the fact that I sinned? Yes. What do I do then? I confess. I repent. I move on. That's exactly right. Okay. So the thing that the thing that marks us as biblical Christians that is totally different than than, than other religions of the world is that indeed our sin should devastate us. It should. But it shouldn't cripple us to the point where we then have to, you know, beat ourselves or whatever. It's that we understand that Jesus Christ paid that price for our sin. And I can still walk in his presence because of what he did for me. Okay? That changes us as believers. Changes us. And there's way too many of us, way too often, that mope around about our sin way too long. Recognize your sin. Deal with your sin and then deal with God when it comes to confessing and then deal with what you need to deal with when it comes to repenting and that simply means that you are changing. You are are going about it in a different way. You're turning 180. Do what you need to do and understand that God says, excellent, we've dealt with that. Let's move on. That's the amazing, amazing thing about our God, isn't it? That's what, Says now, sometimes are there consequences I have to pay on this earth? Yes, sometimes are there those, those consequences last a really long time? Yes, okay. Sometimes have before I came to grips with all that, was I disciplined by my loving father? Yes, okay. We move on, we deal with what we need to deal with. Okay, wouldn't it be nice if, if things were handled differently? You know. Wouldn't it be nice if, if, if when I confessed my sin, all the consequences went away? That'd be great. But that's not how life works because I live on this earth, and I have to deal with those physical consequences still. Okay? If, you steal, if you steal $200, God's going to forgive you, but you might need to pay back the $200. Okay? That's life. That's how that works. Yes? Yep, that's true. The only people on earth who are confessing their sins to God are Christians. Yep, that's exactly right. And that is true. That is true. There is a huge difference, our quarterly points out, between grieving over the effects of our sin and grieving over sin itself. Okay? Are we we sorry we took the cookie or are we sorry we got caught taking the cookie? Generally speaking, we are... Sorry, we got caught. We really are. Okay? We as, we as biblical believers need to come to grips with the fact that there's a difference between grieving over the fact that we got caught versus grieving over the sin. God wants us to grieve over the sin. Okay? All right? And our quarterly says this, and it was, it, it, they put it so well. Let me read the whole paragraph. In the end, though, it says there's a difference between grieving over the effects of our sin and over sin itself. The former is meant to move us to the latter, where our greatest grief over our sin is not because of what it's done to our lives, but because of what it's done to the heart and the glory of God. You know why I should care about my sin? Because I did it against God. What is it that David said? With all of that stuff that went on with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. I grieve over that God. Well, he had affected a lot of people, but his grieving was over the fact that he did this against God. Against God. If we could come to grips with this and grow in this in a little bit, This would be an amazing thing for us if we could just understand the significance of my sin and the fact that I need to grieve over my sin and not just over the effects of the sin, but the sin itself, the fact that I'm missing out on that relationship with God, the fact that that sin is, is bad for me, that sin is hurting me, and it is an attack against the holy God. That's what I should care about and we need to get to that point, okay? Let's go to chapter two of Joel. The consequences are talked about throughout all of this. The consequences at the end of chapter one a little bit further, and then we come to chapter two. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but the desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses so they run. With a noise as of chariots they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them the people are in anguish, all faces turn pale. They run like mighty men, they climb like wall they climb the wall like soldiers in each march in line, and they deviate nor do they deviate from their paths they do not crowd each other they march everyone in its path when they burst through the defenses they do not break ranks they rush on the city they rush on the wall they climb into the houses they enter through the windows like a thief before them the earth quakes the heavens tremble the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness the lord utters his voice before his army surely his camp is very great For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. And who knows whether... He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Let me read those last two verses to you from the New Living Translation, chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. This is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Do not tear your clothing and your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before wander through the Bible with me for a moment so God creates and he creates this incredible thing and he creates man and he creates woman and Adam and Eve are in this remarkable place that we call the garden of Eden. and sin comes into the world they were told what they could and could not do they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when they were commanded not to immediately things change. Their knowledge changes. Their understanding changes. Their approach to God changes. Everything changes. Okay? God comes and sees what they've done, and immediately God utters in Genesis chapter 3, what? What? What have you done, and then what does he do? He, he deals with the consequences. Uh, yeah, provides sacrifice. He deals with consequences. Judgment. Upon their actions. Okay? Absolutely. And then they're barred from the Garden of Eden. And they are, they are sent out of the Garden of Eden, and they have to live out the consequences of their actions, and we today are living out the consequences of their actions still with all of the things that God said, this is the result of your sin. Okay? God then began to, to say, now that you have this knowledge, here's how you should live. And they continued to blow it and sometimes they do a good job and sometimes they do a bad job and 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 oft times God would intervene and he would say to individuals or to groups of people because you've done this here's the judgment upon you right we see that all through the book of Genesis we see that with Cain we saw that without Adam and Eve we see that with some nations here's the judgment as the, as the group of people become a, a group of people, within that group of people, there are things that go on, and God says, here's the judgment, and, and people have to deal with that. We, we know about the, the sin of Ai and, and, and all that went on with that, and the earth opened up and swallowed the, the peoples. We read over and over again. We read about the serpents came and bit them, and they died. We read about how, how the, there was a whole generation that couldn't enter into the promised land because they disobeyed, and they didn't believe God. And throughout the Old Testament, we read judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. And we get into the prophets, and the prophets start telling about a great and mighty, remarkable day down the road where God's judgment will be poured out But through it all, God on a regular basis says, don't go through the motions of simply offering the sacrifices. Don't go through the motions of simply tearing your clothes, but instead fix your heart. Come back to me. Serve me. Follow me. And the nation as a whole, and the kings and the leaders, they refused to listen to that over and over and over again. And God judged them with nations, and God judged them with, with locusts, and God judged them with drought, and God would do these. And all along, why is God judging them? What is it that God is doing as he is doing these things? He's trying to get their attention and bring them back. That's exactly right. He is saying, there's a consequence to walking away from me, and that consequence is no good, and, and you should come back to me instead. Okay? And we see that over and over and over again. Okay? In the New Testament, it continues over and over again. We, we see in the Gospels where there's judgment and, and God is continuing to work in the ways that He is working. And then all of a sudden, we have what Jesus Christ did on the cross, okay? And we we are introduced into that great term called propitiation, where God's wrath was satisfied in Jesus, right? And yet God continues to every once in a while say, you're not really paying attention. We think of Ananias and Sapphira, right? That they lied to God and they they were immediately killed. And God said, you're not really paying attention. There is a judgment to be paid, okay? There is a price for sin. But Jesus Christ, of course, paid the big one, okay, which is the wages of sin is death. He paid the big one. And we read all that. And then in the New Testament and in in the Gospels, Jesus Christ introduces this to this thing that we read about that is expanded in a book called Revelation. And that is what? What is Revelation all about? God's judgment upon what? Let's say again. The earth and the nations, the unbelievers. And it is God's calling out to the unbelievers one last time what? Repent. Come back. You read you need to understand that all of God's judgments everything that he's doing throughout the entire Bible as you read about it from Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation when there's judgment God is saying this is what happens when you walk away from me but I am doing this so that you will stop you'll look at me you'll turn to me you'll come back to me you'll worship me okay That's what it's about over and over again. All right? Over and over and over again. That's what it is. God uses those things in our lives constantly to say, come back to me. Come back to me. Over and over again. He's doing this with these guys, and he does it with us on a regular basis. And these words in 12, 13, and 14 are just incredible words. Return to me with your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your heart and not your garments. Don't go through the motions. Come back to me. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Well, he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in, in loving kindness and relenting of evil. We saw that last week when, when, when that great city of Nineveh, when they, when they turned their hearts toward God, what did he do? He relented. He said, I'm not going to destroy them. By the way, as you continue to read through the Old Testament and you came to the book of Nahum, do you know what Nahum's all about? It's the destruction of Nineveh because the people did not continue to be where they needed to be. God says, come back. Because in 14 it says, who knows whether he will turn and relent and have a blessing behind him and you'll be able to once again offer these to your lord and your god and to worship him the really amazing thing is that god is a god of great love and compassion and grace and mercy and he says i want you to be where you need to be come back to me come back to me and whether that thing that is going on in your life is a direct from god to you about where you are or whether that thing in life is partly because you live in a genesis 3 world or there's a whole bunch of other reasons that thing could be going on the question needs to always be asked is god using this to get my attention and almost always the answer is yes he wants your attention he wants your heart And that's what Joel is all about, and that's what the entire scope of the Bible is all about, in effect. I want you. I want you. And you've seen my judgments. You've seen them in the past. I've told you what my judgments are going to be in the future. You've seen some of them in your own lives today. You've lived through some of them. Come back to me. I'll tell you one of the things that that I don't know if we want to call it a judgment or not, I suppose it works just fine. When you sin, what goes on inside of you? Guilt Guilt is one. What else? Conviction. Conviction is one. What else? Your heart's turned away from God, and what's the result of that? No fellowship, separation. What's the result of those things, though? I have remorse. What else do I have? No peace. In fact, I have sometimes a war. Is that the judgment of God? Maybe. We could call it that. We could put it in that category. The bottom line is, when you sin, is there a consequence and is there something that's going on that is not pleasant? Yes, there is. The Holy go ahead. The Holy Never. Holy Spirit doesn't let you out. You're not unsaved, certainly. And he's doing that so that? You will come to grips with that's a lousy way to live I should do it a different way right that's the reason why he does that why is it that you have that angst in your being when you sin (coughs) so that God will say hey fix this thing and why do you have that peace in your heart when you're where you need to be so that you will say this is where I had to stay this is where I to live okay God is constantly doing that in your life as a believer, and he is constantly regularly doing that in this world with unbelievers. Okay, One of the lessons of life, and we read this in the Gospels, one of the lessons of life is that when things happen and crises and tragedies go on, and it was in the Gospels when they said that tower fell and all those people died. What's the story? And, 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 and they talk about the fact that those people were, were, were murdered and they were killed and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices by Herod. And, and Lord, what's the deal with that? And he said, you know what? What happened to those people is they died. And, and a lot of those people died without knowing me. And the same thing's going to happen to you unless you fix your heart. Fix your heart. That's what he was about constantly is fix your heart. We need to fix our heart now the cool thing about the old testament and especially joel is turn to verse 18 of chapter 2 um yeah let's do this real quick go to, go to chapter 2 verse 18 Look at what it says. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it to a parched and desolate land, its vanguard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea, and its stench will rise up, its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, and the trees have borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and the oil. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locusts has eaten, the creeping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the nine locusts. My great army, which I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. This, Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. And so he is talking about the fact that that you will you will deal with the 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 consequences but god throughout the old testament in the pro in prophet after prophet minor prophet major prophet in prophet after prophet he says you will pay the price and then he says what i will come and be your god still i will continue i will bless you i will pour out upon you uh, you want to you wanna understand the Lord's patience, just read the, read the Bible, go through it, read about the nation of Israel, read about those things, read the minor prophets, and over and over again, you have God saying, this is what you did, and you're going to pay the price, and then he says, ah, but I'm, I'm going to bless you again. I'm going to bless you again. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to take care of you. Okay? He says in verse 28 then, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream, dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on the male and the female servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. God promises to restore his people, God promises to do a great thing. How, how, how are you going to do that? God, what's going to happen next? The question over and over again with these people, the question over and over again with all the people who have walked on this earth and done their best with God is how in the world can I live a holy life before a holy God? How do I do that? And the answer for years and years and years and years that came up short, and then finally you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's the promise that we read right here in Joel. The Holy Spirit answers the question of how can I live as I ought? How can I serve and worship and obey? How can I serve a holy God when I am not? And the answer is the Holy Spirit is given to you. Okay? Peter said in Acts chapter 2, that what, he had, what was going on in Acts chapter 2 was a fulfillment of what Joel said in Joel chapter 2. He said that's exactly what Joel was talking about, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon people. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit is given. So we see the judgment constantly, and then we have this amazing thing, God in His grace and His compassion and His love He gives us the Holy Spirit and says, you belong to me, and nothing will ever change that. Nothing. Now, his promises throughout the Old Testament were just as sure. When he said to the nation of Israel, you're mine, and nothing will ever change that, you're mine. But they didn't have the great thing that we have today, and that is what Paul calls the seal or the guarantee, the promise that you belong to me, and it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, God, when, when God works in our lives today, totally different than how he worked in their lives then, isn't it? Because we have the Holy Spirit. So, when we sin, we certainly are missing out on that fellowship, and we certainly are missing out on that peace, and we certainly aren't having what we need to have. But are we ever without the Holy Spirit, even when we sin? No. Are we ever without the Holy Spirit even when we sin continually and, and, and over and over and over? No. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you'll have the Holy Spirit inside of you forever. That's his promise to you. It's my promise. It's my guarantee to you. Here it is. You belong to me. Okay? Okay? So the judgment that we deal with today is way different than the judgment they dealt with in the Old Testament. And yet, the things that are going on today are still there in our lives so that we will say, where am I? Where do I need to be? What needs to happen in my life? Okay? In the Old Testament, it talks about repentance. In the New Testament, it talks about repentance. Repentance. By and large, when it talks about repentance in the New Testament, it is, it, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, it was it was forsake that thing and come back to me. In the New Testament, repentance before um, when salvation was being talked about, and John the Baptist was talking about repentance, and, and early in the book of Acts, they're talking about repentance. It was forsake that thing and come to me, and you'll be saved. That idea of repentance still holds today in our lives. I talk a lot about confession and repentance. I think that those are such important concepts. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And we need to understand the importance of the repentance type thing in our lives. Is that we need to come to grips with the fact that I have sinned against the holy God. I have broken his, his standard. I have gone against him. I have done this to him. And I need to repent from that. Let's make sure we understand what that is. Repentance is turning away and going a different direction. So the sin is walking down this aisle. That's it. But I find myself in this aisle an awful lot. But I am convicted of it. And I confess that, Lord, you told me to stay on that aisle, and I haven't done it. And if I confess to the Lord, Lord, you have told me not to be in this aisle, and I believe I shouldn't be in this aisle, and I want you to forgive me of my sins, and thank you for being the great God, but I stay right here. Have I really repented? I really haven't. I need to come over here, because he said, here's the aisle you need to walk in. Spend time in this aisle, Kent. So I've repented from that, and I've come over here. And way too many of us confess, but we stand right on the edge of that aisle. Right there. And I'm not saying even that we're not sorry for our sin. I believe we are. I know what my sin has done to me, and I know what my sin has done to me and you, and I know what my sin has done to you. And I am deeply sorry for it. But there's something about this aisle. <laughs> there's, just, there's just something about this aisle. I, I got to deal with the fact that I got to get away from this aisle. I need to repent. I need to repent. And when God convicts me, and when God convicts you, get away from this aisle and get over there to the aisle you belong on. Okay? Confess and repent that we might find the peace of God, that we might find great joy in living with Jesus because I'm hanging out in the right aisle now. It's It's a really good place to be. I have said no to flesh. I've said no to sin. I've said no to desire. I've walked away from some things that are part of my life. And I struggle with that sometimes, but this is the aisle I want to be in because this is where God wants me to be. I've repented from that. I've walked away from it. I've turned around. I've gone a different direction. Okay? This is what we need to do, and this is what God called the Old Testament folks to do. Repent. Repent. Do you think, you know, when he said, tear your hearts and not your clothes, that's what he meant. Repent. Do you think it was enough for them to leave their idols in their homes and go to the, go to the, go to the altar and worship? Had they repented? No. Destroy those things. Now you're where you need to be. This is what God wants for us. And we all know that because we've lived that life, haven't we? every one of us we know exactly what i mean here what is it that god is challenging you to do what is it that god is calling you to do what is it that god is convicting you about what is it that god is 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 doing in your life that that you will that you need to take some action on what is it confession and repentance by the power of the holy spirit man that's pretty good deal father thanks for our time together this morning we thank you for the Old Testament and for the lessons that it gives us and we thank you that although your judgment is still real today it is different because of Jesus Christ and because of the Holy Spirit and yet we know that you have laid out for us the incredible day of the Lord and what will happen as you call the nations back to yourself we know that we will see and we continue to see a lot of judgment. Lord, open up our eyes that we might see it in our lives and open up our mouths that we might talk about Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life to those that experience some of those things. Thank you for being compassionate and kind and loving and the God that you are in our lives. Work in our lives. Cause us to confess and repent for your glory and certainly for our good we pray this in Jesus name